Welcome to the Working Spouse Club, the podcast for today's professional military spouse. Join your host, Joanna DeMott, CEO of Green Zone Corporate Training, and Catherine Prince, founder and principal recruiter at The Spouse Solution, as we embark on a mission to challenge stereotypes, celebrate accomplishments, and provide a roadmap to professional success for military spouses. Each episode features inspiring guests who have successfully balanced their careers with the demands of military life. Expect candid conversations, humorous anecdotes, and valuable insights that will leave you feeling motivated and validated. Welcome to the Working Spouse Club with Catherine Prince and Joanna DeMont. How are you today, Catherine? I'm doing great. How are you, Joanna? I'm doing well. You know, it's the holiday season. There's a lot going on, but I'm really just super excited to be able to record today before everything gets super crazy. And our guest, I am just so excited about. Corey Weathers is a licensed professional counselor, a sought after speaker, consultant, author of two books, Sacred Spaces, My Journey to the Heart of Military Marriage and Military Culture Shift, The Impact of War, Money and Generational Perspective on Morale, Retention and Leadership. Her podcast is Life Giver, Military Marriage and Leadership. She is also an army spouse and so much more. How are you today, Corey? I'm great. Thank you guys so much for having me. It is right before the holidays. And so I know things are getting crazy, but I'm so excited and stoked to have this conversation. So thank you guys for having me on. Absolutely. Fun, quick anecdote. So your latest book, Military Culture Shift. I had my spouse come home super smug the other day. And he was like, I know what you're getting me for Christmas. You didn't hide the Amazon shopping cart. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, that book, Military Culture Shift. And I was like, Bob, that is for me. I'm <laughs> talking to her for our podcast. And he was so taken aback and then so excited. And we ended up last night just like reading and talking together. And so many great conversations came out of what you wrote. So I want to say thank you because I love being able to have really meaningful, impactful conversations about his career journey within the military. And also just say that it's a it's an amazing read. Amazing read. Wow. Thank you for all of that. And I think, I mean, the the greatest joy that you just gave me is the fact that you and your husband could have a shared conversation around all of this. I think even going back to the, the well, my whole career really has been about how do we create more conversation, more honest conversation. But when we can do that in a marriage, especially a service marriage, I just think that that's amazing because I think sometimes we get on these tracks where they're just like separate tracks and we just assume that we don't understand each other's world. And yet so much of it overlaps. I think we need to have more conversations. So I'm just so thrilled. I, I just kind of put a check checkbox in my head that like I succeeded, they're talking. <laughs> so, so thank you for that and tell your husband, thank you. And I'll send him a separate copy because I've heard some couples are fighting over copies. I love that. Yeah, I honestly, I was like, you know what? I'm going to have to slip this into a stocking now that there I go. through. And you know what? I feel like only nerds like me, you know, I'm not going to say you're, you're a nerd or your spouse is a nerd, but only nerds like me would like want something like that for Christmas. You oh, know? <laughs> Trust me, this is a nerd household. No, he was, he was a little bummed that I was like, oh, that's for me. And hopefully he doesn't mind how much I've highlighted and how many, you know, notes I have in here. But Anyways, again, thank you. And I would say we have been starting our podcast in a specific way. I'd love to ask when you were little, what did you want to be when you grew up? 
Oh, I've, I've answered this question a lot because there's only one thing that I wanted to be, which was Wonder Woman. Like I played Wonder Woman when I was a kid and, but I, you know, what's really special to me is that I, this is going to sound so cheesy, but if you really, my husband one day said, if you're going to be a Wonder Woman fan, you need to really be a fan and you need to read the comic books. And the more I like learned about this superhero, the more it resonated with me that not only this is why I played her when I was a kid, but also why so much of my life has turned into how do I fight for honesty and truth and love between people, between teams, between just doing the right thing. And I just always, even if I was playing by myself, I was the person that was trying to save somebody. And so I think that really translated later, even though I kind of tucked that aside and became an adult, you know, I think that translated later becoming a clinician. And what I felt was how do I see the problems in the world and see problems in relationships and how do I be a part of maybe not fixing it, but making it somehow better. So, so that's all I wanted to do. I just played Wonder Woman a lot and, and it's what a great time to be alive where there's now been movies with that character as well, which uh, we won't get into a Marvel versus DC, but <laughs> I have appreciated all of the DC movies. I'm just so thrilled that they're all on the screen. <laughs> as Catherine Prince, I'm also a fan and she made me really proud of my last name. So I, yes. I <laughs> amazing. I'm going to name my next cat, Diana. I think I'm just going to have to. <laughs> Absolutely. What an amazing cat name too. Diana, get over here. Get off the couch, Diana. Yes, that's, that's, a, that's a great way to do that. So you wanted to be Wonder Woman. That's fantastic. And you really have translated that into a career path where you are saving people and looking at, we will, you know, we talk about your book, but two words that come to mind for that are informative and also validating super validating. You know, my husband retired in 2019. We navigated the lifestyle for 20 years and to see the journey put on paper and to see all of my feelings validated there that I didn't, there wasn't anything wrong with feeling the shoulds was, was really awesome. What I would like to know is about your career path as you've navigated this lifestyle. Yeah, it's a complicated one, right? I think that's what most of us as spouses would probably say and how we'd answer that. And I started off as a mental health clinician. I always knew, well, at least by college, I knew I wanted to work with either trauma. I worked with women out of prison for about four years and loved that. But then when it's, once we joined the military, you know, I thought I was coming in to like work with military service members and families and serve them. And then I very quickly realized this community was also here to serve me. And it became this just beautiful opportunity to give of my talents and my strengths. And so most good half of my career was as a clinician. And then it's kind of evolved as a spouse, as I eventually gained like five different state licenses and it was getting really complicated. I really hit a moment where I realized this is, even if I want to do this, it's not good for my clients to only be around for a year. And I really had to pivot. And so that was about the time that I got that spouse of the year award that kind of sent me on this trip overseas, allowed me to open the door to speaking and teaching which really is where I realized that, yes, I love being a clinician, but I'm more of a teacher at heart, even when I'm doing counseling. And so that really turned into 
a kind of a secondary career of coaching and teaching. And that's turned into how do I bring this clinical side of me to teams, to leadership development, kind of expanding to working with uh, military leadership. And, and also, how do I communicate as a consultant? How do I help some of these service organizations, again, from that clinical angle, really have a more impactful, well, just more impact, a deeper impact on service families with their programs? So it's really become like this diversified portfolio of how do I apply these clinical skills in different ways, whether it's through communicating through books or podcasts, or I still do some counseling and coaching and also just working with service organizations on projects to deepen their impact. But it has definitely been a very colorful, diverse career. I could definitely say I'm tired, but you know, I don't know if I would have wanted to do anything different because I, for any spouse that's listening, I get a lot of like, how do I do what you're doing? And really, honestly, everybody, you just find what you're passionate about and then get creative and, and not give up. And it can be really easy to give up, but really, if you really love what you do and what you want to offer the world, there are always opportunities locally. And sometimes through, you know, connections like the one that we're having right now, where you get the opportunity to expand your influence as you go along and gain expertise. So definitely a creative one, but one that I've definitely enjoyed. There was a quote that really resonated for me. It says, for many, it is simply too discouraging to start over again and again, ever looping on the bottom three rungs of Maslow's ladder. Eventually, spouses begin to passively resolve themselves to do well with what they're given rather than want something different. And I think for, you know, for me, three moves in four years, having to constantly change roles and really fight for that career, that was a very emotional quote for me because I do feel like we as spouses constantly have to kind of dust ourselves off and get back out there and really want that career. Because if you don't want it, you're not going to keep fighting for it because it's constantly, you know, you're constantly scraping your knees. Yeah. You know, if my husband was standing here, you know, in this interview right now, he would, you know, with my permission, share the number of times I have been on the floor, almost in fetal position in tears, you know, whether it was, I don't know if I want to fight another license, another state. I don't know if I want to fight TRICARE again. I don't know if I want to apply for this job. I feel so un unqualified, you know, or I feel qualified, but they just don't see it. Like, I have been through so much of what everybody I think has been through. And, you know, that Maslow's ladder, it was about 2015 when I was really branching out and starting to hear from more spouses and really just listen. And it really struck me very hard when I realized, oh my goodness, we are seeing our service members climb Maslow's ladder and finding purpose and their purpose through an MOS translates from assignment to assignment to assignment like the people change but the uniforms don't the job kind of doesn't it evolves in leadership so they're climbing through this ladder gaining confidence as they go hitting these gateways of opportunity and yet spouses were just looping on the bottom three rungs of maybe i get to a place where i get involved in my local community or maybe i get a job and then like i'm knocked down and i start all over and i've i was seeing so many spouses that were just like, you know what, I'm just gonna stay at home, which is fine if that's the choice that you want to do. I did that. But if it's not something, if you're doing it because you are abandoning yourself 
and abandoning something that you love to do or would like to learn how to do, that's where I was starting to see our identities start to crumble, where resentment was starting to rise, and we were just becoming unwell. And that's what I wanted to fight against, not only within myself, but also for spouses so that we're not swinging from one pendulum swing extreme to another, which is either I abandon everything and abandon myself, or I was also seeing spouses in almost an aggressive way out of a sense of wanting control to swing to the opposite extreme and ask the entire world to revolve around them, which would crumble their marriages and their homes. And so I was like, how do we walk down the line and asking myself the same question from move to move, how do I keep myself well and find that there's that word balance, but balance during this particular season of my life? I noted that I did throughout his career, I found great solace in speaking to other spouses and relate having these same conversations, but not putting it in the way that you have looking at those hierarchy of needs and just sacrificing that self-actualization as a matter of course. And that's what my mentors kind of told me is that his career, his goals come before you and making sure that my children and that everyone else in my household is taken care of and knowing that their life is not one they chose. I mean, I chose this lifestyle, not knowing what it was going to be like, that just making sure that they were okay before me. And so, you know, 20 years of that led to huge rifts in our household having to seek professional assistance to reestablish that emotional connection. Because what we became very good at is handling projects. If there was a crisis or a project, you put us together and we took care of business. But handling the emotions of being a couple and what that looks like when, you know, big daddy Marine Corps is not there anymore, when that total institution is dissolved, uh, was something that we could not navigate on our own. So I, I really love how you've put that into perspective. Another thing that I noticed is while I was taught very well how to navigate the resources that were available to me, I didn't understand that we've been fighting for the same three things mm -hmm. for over 40 years. I thought, you know, two decades of this lifestyle, we just started fighting for that two decades ago. No, 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 no. Nobody told me that. None of my mentors said, we've been asking for employment resources forever, or we've been supplementing with contractors to kind of fill those gaps. The word dependent is still on my ID card, but in policy, it's changed to family member in some places. Why are we still fighting for 40 years to have the word dependent removed? It's, it's amazing. Can I, I yeah, just, just ask crazy. you... First, yeah, can I just ask you first, how does that make you feel to realize that the things that felt so fresh to you are things that actually have been asked for or fought for for so long? It felt like I was in an abusive relationship for 20 years. Yeah, that there was virtue signaling and patting me on my head yeah, that I was in a, an abusive, abusive relationship, such abusive a, codependent relationship. Such yeah. a hard thing to say out loud and such an even harder thing to feel and be aware of and give voice to. And what Catherine quoted and what you're referencing, just for context, for those listening, I write about throughout the book, but also 
ground them and root them in there's two chapters for spouses that really get into the culture of the military spouse and some of the 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 beliefs that have been helpful over the years but also maybe destructive i think that's a question for us to be talking about and thinking about and so trying to bring to light like why do we believe what we believe why do we say what we say where do those things come from and to your point when I was writing the book and I was like, we, we really need an authentic conversation of what it's like to be a family member so that military leaders, especially, and potentially even policymakers can read something like this and see like, th this is why we ask for the things that we do, or this is why we're still asking for those things and just trying to understand or put words to what our world and our culture as spouses really is like. And I feel like there, and I was feeling also like there is a lot of times where we're either lifted up on a pedestal when we're needed or silenced or invisible at other times or, and I was like, which way is it? Like, is it, are we valued or are we not? And so this was really coming to light as I was um, having counseling sessions with people who were going through abusive or toxic relationships and seeing some of these similarities. And so I'm not here to say that the DOD is, is trying to inflict abusive patterns on our families, <laughs> but when there is a pattern there, I think it's very important for us to talk about it and for us to be able to have healthy adult conversations about it. And then what can we do as individuals and as adults having autonomy, what can we do to live in a healthier way, determining that health for ourselves? And so you're bringing up such really good, important points. And I'm so glad that you were able to catch on and see, because there's seeds planted throughout the book where you start to see, oh, wait a minute, they were asking for this in the 80s. They were asking for better housing, better childcare, employment opportunity. Why are, wait a minute, this sound, sounds like today. And so it's important to be able to process that and talk about it. And I think it's, it, it was just such an aha moment for me too, even as I was writing it, that I was like, I kept running downstairs with all the research I was doing to my husband going, you're not gonna believe what I found. Like, what? Like, you know, I didn't know how to feel about that either. And so how do I bring all of this information to a place where we can kind of zoom out and see things in proper context? And then where do we go from here? What I like about what you've done is that you've pulled in data. So it's not just whining anymore. And that's what I felt like we received when we would raise these concerns yeah. is that we were whining when we should be grateful that all of our needs are taken care of, that we're on that bottom rung and we're all taken care of. And what you pulled in is that data to support that. So we're not just whining anymore. Yes. And you know what I was also seeing, I really kept the word curator kept just coming in my head as I was writing, because although I was bringing in qualitative research of just what I had experienced and conversations and counseling appointments and stories and and trying to thread those stories throughout so it's a little bit easier to read and we feel it's a little bit you know um, it's not too data heavy hopefully but it also has good stories in there too i knew we have wonderful organizations blue star families mfan so many others that are putting out that research but they're kind of like these slow drips once or twice a year and i i thought to myself you know we're not listening i think we're not listening because we're becoming blind to oh there's another survey oh there's no more results oh they say the same thing you know and we're not paying attention anymore and so i thought to myself i'd like to be almost like an investigative journalist slash storyteller and then look at all of that on my table through a clinical lens like that was kind of the approach that i had to it so how do i curate all of this information and put it in story form where we can actually see 
Like this is what all these data points are saying to us. No excuses once it's out there, right? Like no excuses for, I didn't know, unless you've obviously read the book, but like it's out there, it's here, and it's all compiled in a way that we can fully understand it and see it for what it is. So now what can we do? We may not be able to change the whole system, but we can change ourselves and change how we lead at least as a starting point. Um, but I'm hopeful that those that are boots on the ground, whether you're a spouse and a volunteer that's looking for how do I lead better, or whether it's your spouse that's in command, or whether you're you know, a senior leader or in policy levels, that we can lead hopefully with fresh eyes. I would say as a newer spouse, I, I think that I'm seeing that just from reading the book, you know, some of the things that obviously so much resonated, but there were things that felt like I haven't seen as a spouse. Mm -hmm. And so hopefully that can be a slightly positive spin. I'm never the positive one. I, I honestly was telling Joanna, you talk at one point about the, the aggressive spouses and that's kind of like beaten out of them eventually. I'm like that. I'm like clinging on. I'm that aggressive, like spouse. that's always saying the things that shouldn't be said. But I, I do think that in some ways things are, are changing for the better culturally, mm -hmm. but I think the retention and recruitment issues really speak to the fact that it's not changing fast enough. And yes. there's there's a greater problem here. Um, and I don't want to go too much into that because this really should be about spouses and you and your career journey. Um, but there there should be incentives to focus on this and, and solve some of these issues related to families because I think many people are exiting the force because of their families and because of these issues. Yeah. So maybe I can address that through the lens of spouse careers, right? Because, you know, really when we talk about recruitment and retention and what's changed, you know, years ago, if I can make this really like high level and brief, because I go into much more detail for those that want that detail, but for years, you know, even in American culture, women fought. And so I would say for a majority of American culture over time, boomers especially really propelled women into the workplace. And so by the time you got to Gen X, I am a young Gen X, we were given the choice to climb the ladder if we wanted to as, as women still having some of those issues. And I still even experience those issues as a woman, as a professional, and as a military spouse, and as a chaplain spouse on top of that, fighting through all of that stigma in order to be taken seriously or to be seen credible in my field or whatever. And so Gen X really was kind of riding the coattails of boomers to be able to go, oh, I can go get a job if I want to. But because of the way that we were raised primarily as latchkey kids on our own, we valued family so much. We were kind of like, oh, but I don't know if I want to like really only have a career, even though you've given me the opportunity and the privilege to do that. So by the time millennials came in, valuing family even more, that meant we have even more having the opportunity and the choice to stay home and it being an actual choice and not a forced choice. And so what we have is as these younger generations are coming in, we're valuing family even more and we have more options than ever. And that doesn't necessarily mean that we are happier. In fact, there's plenty of research that shows the more options we have, the actually the more miserable and more likely we are to be lonely and depressed. And we are a culture now that has options at every turn, whether it's what am I going to watch on TV or where am I going to go out to eat? or what school do I wanna to go to, or what some even very young Gen Z service members are telling me of, of them 
literally serving in the American military and they're trying to decide when their four years are up if they're going to just move to another country because they have options of which country they want to be a citizen of like that blows boomers away they're like traitor <laughs> you know like <laughs> it's 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 really a lot of shifts even when it comes to options so when it comes to career choices and having a career as a military spouse we are seeing recruitment being more that's one component just one of many components that's making recruiting harder is that we have a lot of especially if they're married military spouses want the opportunity to have a career if they are staying home they're they're wanting a better quality of life at home and so they're less likely to come in and be paid the 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 pay that we're seeing a lot of enlisted soldiers getting paid or service members getting paid and so they're reevaluating whether or not they want to be a one income home and that's what they're kind of gambling with if they're coming into the service is can we have the quality of life on a one income salary our household and so there's that component for brand new recruits but as far as retention we are seeing a mass exodus of especially millennial generation that are doing their eight years or so and the service member still has an opportunity to expand their career in the civilian sector and they're leaving i'm hearing so many of them choosing to leave for their spouse because they're seeing their spouse start to struggle with their career and they want them to have the same if not a similar opportunity to grow in their strengths with that option and or their kids are old enough now they're in school and so now the spouse wants to work and they don't want to fight against all of the bureaucracy so we are seeing the spouse career really driving a good portion of the retention problems so you can see how important this is not only to those of us who are listening and want to have a solid career but it is um, definitely affecting our recruitment and retention rates as well i love what you said about finding a passion and then getting creative i think there are more like you said more choices now for doing that finding that passion and getting creative I stayed home for seven years with my children, you know, childcare being what it was and not making any sense for what I could make having to reinvent myself every time we move and starting mm -hmm. at the bottom every time, even with uh, a graduate degree and 10 years of work experience, having to go in entry level. I, I don't know if I would have found my passion outside or if I would have even Consider that I'm also you know, Gen X and we just suck it up, work hard and, yeah. you know, until the work, until the job is done and get your paycheck and, and go do what you do. But I'm not sure that, you know, this lifestyle isn't all terrible. Uh, I think there are more opportunities for that flexible and portable employment. We've seen mm -hmm. great changes in that license portability piece for those licensed professionals. It's taken 40 years, but it's, it's happening, I think a little bit. I see some, yeah. you know, promising legislation for those new spouses. Now the portable career options that I'm seeing, I'm not sure if I would be passionate about the options that I'm seeing for flexible employment. I don't know if I could get passionate with a, you know, a master's degree to do customer service calls from my home or work for, I won't say any big hotel chain names, just in case they want to sponsor. We're always always looking for fantastic sponsors, but those aren't the types of employment opportunities that I'd be looking for. Again, I'm in the minority, but what do you see that has been promising in, in, the, in the recent times that we can build upon or create more, more support for globally? 
Yeah. First of all, I do agree. Like I still get calls about licensure portability or certification portability. And, and so many people are upset still at times by that. Some of it is out of misunderstanding at, at how far we actually have come. And it's just the reminder that the reason why we are America and the United States is that states have choices and each state protects their civilians. And so that's why if you want to see a doctor in Florida, like that, well, I'll just use me as an example. I have a license for, let's say, Virginia, but that that license is not to protect me. That license says that I will do right by those Virginia citizens. And so that license and that board is protecting the people of Virginia. So they are responsible. So even if I'm living in Texas, which I am, I have to follow those Virginia rules. And so that is the benefit of us being in these United States and having states have that autonomy to make those rules and those um, laws for each of them. And so we've come a long way for states to agree, to at least talk to each other, for there to be these um, compacts that are starting to really build. We have compacts that have more states than not that are in agreement. And so it's on its way to perhaps having a national national license or that sort of thing. So it is still difficult. And so I would say just really quickly, and then I'm going to get to what's right. You still have to advocate for your career, no matter what your career is, even with the best resources, if you want it, then ask for it. And if you're having a hard time or hitting obstacles, ask why, learn about it, learn everything that you can. And I'll tell you as military spouses, the best, find a mentor, especially because those that are mentors found our way through loopholes. Like most of my career was through loopholes of finding something that the law didn't say. And then how do I work with that board to kind of squeeze in and get what I need based off of what you didn't say I could or couldn't do. And so there are some great things when it comes to law and policy that's working. When it comes to the DOD, I do think that there are some things that they're getting right. And I think there's a lot of resources that we are underutilizing and they don't work for everybody. But I will say that the things that they are providing, they're doing the best that they can. I've seen them on the back end. I've toured them in DC. They really are with a good heart trying to address some of the problems of spouse employment with having all of those big major corporations that are willing to hire spouses. And they're saying, it's okay that you're a spouse. It's okay that you are moving frequently. We'll work with you. Some of them even having remote positions that can move. Oconus is a whole other conversation, but they're also offering coaching, coaching services. And that's been really helpful for a lot of people. So if you don't know what you want to do, if you don't know what your strengths are, if you don't know if you want to go to school, but you're not really sure what you want to go to school for, if you're kind of in those beginning steps where you really just need some help figuring out like, where do I go from here? Or how come I keep interviewing and I'm not getting the job? Is it me? Right. There's a lot of coaches on the DOD side that are trained. I've actually, I last year was a consultant for one of those big companies that was going for that bid for spouse employment coaching. And so I got to see the back end of what it takes to run that whole giant $120 million program. So can we just acknowledge how much money is being invested into just one DOD program to help spouses with their employment? The next question is, if we need those resources, why aren't we using them? And that's a whole other conversation of do spouses actually want to work? So if you want to work and you're needing those resources, 
there are coaches, free coaching that can help you with your interview skills, your resume. I remember a couple years ago, I decided to relook at my resume and realize, wow, how people do resumes have changed. Now there's AI that reads through resumes before a person even touches them. So when it comes to How do you do a resume? If you have not looked at yours in five to 10 years, you could benefit from somebody helping you write your resume so that maybe an AI software engine can actually catch your resume more than someone else. That's a whole other level that I can't do as a human by myself, right? So there is some great resources out there. We're not using them. And when we don't use them, there is conversation of canceling that contract and using that money somewhere else. And so if it's not for you, that's okay. But there is, that's available if you need it. Otherwise, I think what we are doing I want to say 50 50 doing well the newest generations since i just spent a couple years really diving into generations the newest generation probably my age gen x into millennials really took off in the spouse culture with entrepreneurship starting your own businesses to create that flexibility i'm an entrepreneur i have two businesses one in counseling and clinical side one and all the other stuff everything's lumped in the other one so I found that as a creative option so that I could set my own schedule and it worked for me. And so a lot of spouses are doing that where you're starting your own career. And there's a lot of great mentoring out there to help you build your own career. A lot of spouse run businesses meant to mentor you into helping you build that career. But I will also just say on the other side, as a coach that coaches a lot of spouses in their entrepreneurship journey, I can't tell you the number of spouses that I actually, it's not that I don't, it's not that I talk them out of starting their own business, but I ask them really tough questions to make sure that's the right answer for you because I'm seeing a lot of people get frustrated, understandably, I've been there a million times and think that the solution must be, I must need to start my own business or heaven forbid, start another nonprofit. And so can I just remind you, if you're thinking about starting a nonprofit, you're really talking about raising and asking for your own income. Like, is that what you really want to do? Because that's what it's going to take. And so it's you just having somebody come alongside, whether it's a spouse, a mentor, a coach, or a DOD coach or some uh, an actual resource that's out there that's bigger that helps you walk through these questions so that you make wise choices is really, but there is a lot of information out there, even if you're just going to YouTube to help you figure out how to take the next step. So hopefully that answers your question a little bit. Absolutely. I, I hear what you're talking about with the sea of goodwill. And when I talk to spouses, it's almost overwhelming the amount of resources that are out there. And like you said, you know, bringing it back to those options, there are so many options that you so don't many. know which one to choose, or you get down a path with one and it's an eight week program and you end up, you know, having a, a conflict with something going on in your life. And then you have to start over. It's, it can be really frustrating. It is nice to see people trying that the DOD is recognizing the issues and, and trying around it. I do hear a lot of, you know, Catherine and I are both entrepreneurs, finding that passion, getting creative. I work with an organization that brings together the nonprofits in North Carolina. Part of the reason I do that is to see if we're duplicating efforts and maybe Mm -hmm. need to join forces. The other part is so that we can share those resources. Mentoring is so important. And our first guest on the podcast was Leslie Coffey from American Corporate Partners. A wonderful way to find that mentor and get you started. That's pretty low drag. But I I do see a lot of things happening, whether that's in the nonprofit space 
or the DOD con trying to contract out. But again, they're contracting out another yes. service. Yes. To and make this us is where dependent. I'm going to say something very, that's going to sound very unpopular, especially coming from a spouse, but this is coming from all of that research, all of that reading, and really trying to understand things as they are in context. And that is the hard question of, should the DOD be helping us with all of these things? There is a point where, I mean, there is there are some things that we need help with, and there are things that the DOD promised to provide, such as housing, you know, your BAH, your healthcare. There are things that are have been promised to you that if they've been promised to you, then we should be absolutely holding the DOD accountable to make sure that they're providing those things. But I think that we have blurred the lines on both sides from the spouse perspective and the DOD perspective. We blur the lines when we get into this place of basically a place of things are so hard and you've made them hard. So therefore you should help me with how hard this is. And that is so unpopular for me to say, but when we get into what is it that we can do for ourselves and what is it that we should expect help from? It's very gray and blurry and it depends on your circumstances. When it comes to licensure, I am over the moon and I have gotten my licenses because of joining forces from the White House and the DOD working together to pave a way for that conversation. And that was extremely helpful. But I'm just gonna swing the pendulum to the other side here. You brought up like hospitality, you brought up some of these other remote kind of jobs. I would encourage you to, as a spouse, have the confidence. Now we're talking about that Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Like when we get to this place where we are somewhat settled, we have a routine, we maybe are involved outside of our home, whether that looks like in the military culture or in the community, the kids are okay and we're ready for that. Like, what is it that I'm going to do? If you want to go out and get a job, especially in the community or a remote job online, I'm going to just encourage you to ask the question whether or not it's important for you to disclose whether or not you're a military spouse. Whole other like hot topic, right? I know because the DOD says all these companies will hire you if you're a military spouse. And that is true to a point. Um, for me as a clinician, when I said this was unfair to my clients for me to leave after a year, that's one of those situations that if I'm going to work at a group practice, um, I felt that it was the responsible thing for me to do to say, I'm a military spouse, I'm going to be here temporarily. And that's why it was better for me to have a telehealth business that I started on my own that can travel with me wherever I go. But I felt like it was responsible to that those clients and that group practice for me to disclose that I was a military spouse. However, I've been in many situations, especially over the last couple of years, where I have not disclosed that I'm a military spouse first and instead said I am a mental health professional, I am an author, I'm a whatever, fill in the blank, right? And those doors open, I, I am seeing a little bit easier without necessarily disclosing that you're military spouse. And so walk that line and think through it talk with some friends of yours talk with someone in your field or in the field that you want to go and talk with your spouse about it because there are some situations where it's not necessary just one other quick story i had an assistant for a while that really her dream was to go into real estate she was a military spouse when it was time for her to make that switch she was going to go to her interview and tell them that she was this military spouse and she's rented all these places and whatever and i just had to ask her the hard question not to criticize whether or not you should say you're a spouse but just to start with do you realize that you are 
her name was Amelia. You are Amelia. You are a, a female professional. You are talented in what you, and you've passed all the exams. You have everything that you need to go into real estate. What would happen if you just walked in with that confidence and that you don't need the crutch or the information or the disclosure that you're a military spouse as if it's going to help you get in? Like, what if you are enough? just as you are with the talents and strengths that you have to offer that organization and and maybe let go of any crutch that you feel like either identifies you with something or that is if you need it in some way or or as if you're afraid of it in some way what if you just walk in with that confidence and i think that that's just a little bit of a game changer when it comes to climbing that ladder for for maslow's ladder to find that purpose to own what you have to offer in that interview and not stress unless you're in one of those other that other category to not stress about it and just do you so i'd love to hear what you guys think about that because this is a this is a tough topic for a lot of spouses to wade through so my background is recruitment and a fortune 100 company and i started the spouse solution which you know i love the resources available but i do believe that the majority of resources for spouse employment are for more entry-level roles mm -hmm. and so with my organization i focus on mid to senior military spouses and i will say that it becomes difficult to not mention that you're a spouse when your resume shows that you're a spouse yes, or that you are a toxic, terrible candidate. Because if I looked at my resume, truthfully, if I had a, a hundred, or if it's a remote position, realistically, a thousand resumes to look through, yeah. I'd probably swipe left because I have employment gaps. I've had pivots. Yes. It says that I've lived in like four different places in the last five years. I'm like, this girl looks crazy. And so yeah. I do think that especially if you're you're leading resume first, it's really hard not to explain that the military spouse label, but it's not always going to be important, you know, if you're if you're networking into conver into conversations, I think that's the way to go for spouses. It's just a hard skill to learn, right? If you're networking, you don't necessarily need to show that resume, show those gaps, show those pivots. You can kind of lead with I'm Catherine. I'm not a military spouse. I'm yes. Catherine. I'm incredible. Let me tell you how. That's what I'm that's what I'm encouraging. Going back to the first question of what drives me, full transparency and honesty I think is so important. And so it's not about not being transparent or hiding something, right? And if it makes anybody feel any better, when I was working with that consult on the coaching project, I went through so many resumes of coaches that were wanting to get hired. And there were so many resumes that I was like, oh, there's a military spouse, oh, there's a military yep. spouse. And there were several that I, because because of those gaps or they were experienced in Germany or like wherever, right? And there was one interview, which this changed something for me. And hopefully this encourages someone that's listening because sometimes we go in with this, I have been there. I did this myself where I was like, oh my gosh, they're going to see my resume. I already feel like I'm at a disadvantage and now I'm going in insecure, right? Like, it's almost like you're going to see me. And yet how do I like posture and overcompensate to show you what I really have to offer, right? And so we all feel this tension. And so I was looking at this resume and I was like, that is definitely a military spouse. I was doing the interview, went through the whole interview with the assumption that this was a military spouse, asking about where they were here and going to Germany there and their experience there. I got to the end and she goes, I just want you to know I'm not a military spouse. And I was like, really? <laughs> and it was actually a civilian that just loved to travel. 
So I just want to like remind you out there that if you're feeling that insecurity going in, that there are other people, even civilians, that their resume could look like yours. You're not kind of, you don't have like the sign that's, you know, like blaring and blinking that says that's obvious you're a military spouse. But to Catherine's point, it should create conversation when they ask you about those work gaps. Be proud of those gaps. If you were at home raising your children, own that because you're basically saying that, you know, I value my family and this was important to me and and find a way to deflect that into when when I am in a season of what is most important, that is the thing that I'm going to be passionate about. And right now I'm passionate about my career. I'm passionate about what you do at this job. And I want to be a part of that during this season of my life. During that season, I was passionate about being home for my kids. And if you're going to ask me if I'm going to work till nine o'clock at night and I've already put in eight hours, I'm going to be the first person to say my family is important to me. But this season also is about my career and my investment in myself is also important. You're going to get that passion too, just like I gave it to them then. So find a way to pivot that conversation. Be okay with those gaps. Explain them. Make it part of your conversation to Catherine's point. But this is like, this is that gray, right? Like when do you start with it versus when do you just have a conversation? But 100%, I would say, be authentic and transparent for sure. I will say, unless they require the location, don't put it on there. Your job mm-hmm. title is your job title. And yep. I tell spouses that volunteer work is work. Yeah. So unless you're filling out a USA jobs application where they're asking required hours, or if you feel like you need to put on there that you work 20 hours a week, go ahead and do that. But volunteer work is paid work. You yeah. are not just a spouse. You have an identity, removing the location, being able to fill that in with training whether that's, you know, LinkedIn learning or other certification programs that are free for you. If you want to continue to grow your professional identity, you can do that without having a paid professional job. And why should the unpaid labor that's expected of us not be reflected on our resume and grow us professionally in some fashion? Yeah. My first license with Georgia, we were at our first duty station where I'm in Colorado. So I can't work in Colorado without a license while I'm trying to get my Georgia license. Right. So what am I going to do? I found a loophole that it didn't say in any of their board rules that I had to be paid. So I volunteered as the care team coordinator using those skills. I offered, if you want to talk, if you want to have a session, I had someone that I had a supervisor back in Georgia, I could talk to about it. And when it came down to it, if they asked, I was like, you didn't say, and I asked you if it needed to be paid. And so my resume said at the time, and even my application said at the time, I provided this many hours to these, you know, to these people, you know, and you describe it without necessarily going into all the details because it is still true. It is still true. So I 100% agree. And that's where a mentor, someone in your field looking over your resume, don't be afraid to ask somebody to look it over, whether it's for aesthetics and how it looks or whether it's for how do I sharpen my words just a little bit more or for interview skills. It is hard to role play. I always hated that. But just having a friend that you can say, ask me some tough questions so I can practice goes a long way. As a, as a recruiter, I am educated on military spouses now. And so I would rather advocate for that candidate to my client every time, because Mm -hmm. what I can say is, do you see this move? Do you see this pivot? Do you see this relocation? Do you see this gap? This person fought their way back to this interview. They want to be here. They're not here because 
you know, they, they need to, they're here because they want this and you right. want that employee, you want that employee hands down every time because they're going to show up, they're going to be passionate and they're going to deliver in a way yes. that you're not going to see with these other candidates. So also know that and, and feel confident, you know, if you're looking at your resume and you have those gaps, you have those pivots, those are some battle scars and they're cool. Yes. Yes. I mean, so many scars I have, but they're great stories and I'm proud of them now. Like I'm proud of the stretching that it created in me. I'm proud of that growth moment. And if it makes you feel any better, those several times I was on the floor, one of the best things my husband said to me during those times was he wasn't like, get over it. He wasn't like, you know, yes, your life is terrible, but he was asking me to lean into it and to get curious about what I was feeling. And then he would say to me, I want you to think of the thousand of thousands of other spouses that are going through this exact feeling right now. How are you going to bring purpose from your story from this? And somehow that was something that gave me the chance to get up and say, you know what, if I can't find my way through this, how is anybody else going to? And if nothing else, how do I make my story something that encourages someone else? So I have wisdom to share later. So sometimes it went great. Sometimes it didn't go great. Sometimes I got the job. Sometimes I did not get the job. All of them were like great growth moments. I've always grown most at those points where I'm crying on the floor when I'm oh, <laughs> when I'm at my mom's table and I'm crying and I'm saying, I can't do this. Those I look back and I'm like, wow, I developed so much as a person during that. It was horrible. Like, I don't want to go back there, but I know that when I do have to go back there again, I'm going to just grow so much. And it's, it's going to be incredible to see who I am on the other side. It's also a huge, important step that all humans have to hit in order to grow. Like we don't know we need to grow until we hit our limit. And those moments of crying on the floor is like, I've hit my limit, you know, and sometimes it's crying for some people, it's anger for others. You know, those are a moment to pause, not put it on social media just yet, like get all of your emotion out first. Right. And then think on it and realize this, I've hit a limit. What do I need to move through this now? Do I need help? Do I need a mentor? Do I need a friend? Or do I just need the courage to take the next step? A lot of times it's just take the next step and you have enough to do just that. You may not have enough courage or information to know where you're going, how it's going to turn out, who you're going to become. Yes, but like you can take the next step. Absolutely. I have learned so much just talking to you and I'm so grateful for your time. I learned about finding a passion, getting creative with that passion, advocating for myself, being curious, just remaining open and curious about all the policies and programs, finding a mentor and that I do have an identity and, and you do too. And all our listeners do military spouses for those employers who are listening, please know listen, hear the value proposition of hiring those military spouses. Don't discount them. And don't, because you see somebody's moved all around the, the world, don't assume that they're a military spouse, mm -hmm. although you should, and you should hire them anyway. But that's, that's <laughs> beside the point. I really want all of our listeners and anybody who, who loves somebody in the military, who serves this community, who's a part of this community to get military culture shift please, please, please visit Corey's website, coreyweathers.com, C-O-R-I-E-W-E-A-T-H-E-R-S.com. You have something big coming in 2024. I'd love to hear about it. 
I thank you. Thank you so much. Well, I mean, I'm tired from the book. That will, that's for sure. But because I love to challenge myself, I am going to be putting out a supplement um, podcast that goes with a book by the same name. So it'll be Military Culture Shift Podcast. It is a very limited series, one season leadership podcast that really just is meant to bring the book to life in a multi-sensory way. You know, if you're not huge into reading, the audiobook should come out next year as well. But the podcast is really just expanding the conversation. So each chapter, whether it was somebody I quoted in that chapter or whether it's a topic that we're expanding on, but it will expand on some of those big topics as we go throughout. We talked about spouses today, the spouse culture, some of the things that we believe in, the things that we wrestle with. And so I'll have kind of like a round table of spouses of different generations that are talking about what it's been like for them with these same challenges along the way. So that will come out in 2024 to go with the book. If you're one of those people that likes to read and then think a little bit and hear a little bit and then talk with others, it'll hopefully generate more conversation and really solidify those learning outcomes that we all hope come out of a, a, a piece of material just like this. Is there anything that we missed that you'd, you'd like to put out there? I would just say, first of all, thank you for reading this book. I have two books. The one, last one was seven years ago, and it's about marriage. If you are looking to close the emotional gaps in your marriage mm -hmm. and understand each other's world from the perspective of what it's like to be a spouse at home versus your service member who's gone through some deployments, especially if they were challenging deployments or deployments that had trauma. So great for veteran couples or for active duty who've gone through, especially since the two decades of war. Sacred Spaces is a great book for that. That is a little bit more personal, a little bit more about our marriage um, in ways that hopefully will spark you to do similar to what Catherine said in the beginning to generate some of these um, tough conversations of understanding each other's world. Military Culture Shift is a little bit, like we said, more data heavy, but it's the broader, bigger story that I wanted everything from a spouse to a military leader to even these military schoolhouses to see it as a cultural analysis and almost textbook of understanding our culture. But I hope that you'd be willing to give it a try and read through it. And more than anything, it would be a success to me if you see parts of your own story threaded throughout and it generates more conversation between you and your spouse or whether it's with your family at the dinner table when they're asking, is the military woke or is the military going in the wrong direction? This book will arm you with all the information you need to have an educated conversation on that. And it is not political. It's not a political book. It's not throwing anybody under the bus either. It will help you have those educated, balanced conversations. We are so grateful that you've shared your time with us today. And for our audience, thank you for joining the Military Spouse Club. We look forward to bringing you a new guest each week as we explore the world of military spouse employment. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining us on today's episode of the Working Spouse Club. As always, if you'd like to learn more about today's guest and what we discussed, check out our episode notes. You'll find links there. You'll also find a link to Joanna's website, Green Zone Corporate Training. She's here to help you attract, hire, and retain military-connected staff, and she's fabulous at it. As well as a link to my website, The Spouse Solution. I'm here for you when it comes to direct hire placement of mid to senior level military spouses. Joanna and I would love to hear from you. So if you have any thoughts, feel free to send them over to us. LinkedIn is a great place for that. 
If you're interested in joining us for an episode to talk about your professional journey as a military spouse, don't be shy in reaching out. And if you're an employer interested in hiring from this amazing community and want to talk about that as well, we'd love to connect with you. Be on the lookout for our next episode. We're looking forward to sharing another great guest with you soon.